Welcome to the Health and Wealth Podcast. If you're watching this online on YouTube, you'll see that I have this handsome scientist up on my screen. His name's Dr. Jasby, and I connected with him because if you look down here on the members of the team, Michael Lowe, the president of this company, Therium, introduced me to one of his really good friends, Dr. Jasby. And he is leading the charge in something called metabolomics diagnostic testing. When I talked to Micah, he was saying that he's going to introduce me to the smartest person he knows and probably the smartest person I know. And after talking to Dr. Jasby, that is probably true. What an amazing guy. We exchanged phone numbers before the podcast, and he's been so generous with his time. So what is metabolomics? Metabolomics is a diagnostic test that Dr. Jasby believes and the scientific research confirms is the closest you're going to get to giving you an accurate, accurate picture of your health. So it doesn't test your genetics. It doesn't test any of the other markers. It tests metabolites or how your metabolism is working. And metabolism is much more than just losing weight. It is the whole systems biology of your health. So I think you'll get a better understanding of metabolomics through this hour interview. I made a joke at the end to Dr. Jasby that when he's on the cover of Time Magazine, I hope he remembers me and gives me the exclusive interview after he's on the cover and he agreed to it. So I made him sign a contract. Even more amazing, Dr. Jasby sent two of his metabolomic tests to my house. One for me, one for my wife. So after I take these tests and get the results, I'm going to do an hour podcast explaining the results. Dr. Jasby, I cannot thank you enough for coming on. Micah, I can't thank you enough for the introduction. Guys, please listen to this podcast. It's a little science heavy, but I promise it's totally worth it. And if you can support Ethereum, order a test from them. Not only will you be supporting them, but you're actually going to help out your health. Thanks for watching, guys. See you guys soon. Actually, we're, we're, we kind of laugh it off the fact that like we kind of do what Theranos purported to do. I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, okay. Our name is like a little bit like like, like Theranos. Yeah. And, and, and I grew, you know, I was in, in uh, graduate school. Uh, when Theranos' debacle um, was, you know, spectacularly aflame. And for me, one thing that I was mourning the whole time was the fact that there are people in academia uh, working on these things, Vincent. There were people looking to miniaturize testing. There were people looking to do advanced clinical assays. There were people looking to do advanced bioinformatics and multiplex diagnostics. The issue was none of those people were Theranos. The issue was that it was a major fraud. And so to to find out that this person who had um, claimed to have solved the issues that we were working on had not just like ruined it for you know everybody else in the field, but had ruined it for the people who uh, could benefit from it, which is all of us. Um, it really set back the, the entire field of personalized medicine uh, a good 10 or 20 years. 
And so we were working on these issues and to see it sort of um, catch fire in the market and just go up and blaze made us think like, hey, you know, not all of it is fraud. What she was doing and how she was conducting herself and caring about her testing, that was obviously fraud. So so I'm not uh, opposed to it and, and, I'm, and I'm happy to talk about anything and I kind of have fun with yeah. it. So, no. Well, let's jump in because I'm actually, if you're okay with yeah. it, I'm going I'm yeah. to put that uh, in the yeah. podcast. I, I, I yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So I guess I got to ask you, when that first came out, did you know she was a fraud as a scientist? Could you see things that the general public couldn't see about her company? There were so many things about um, her company that was red flags to us. Um, now, what do, you, what do I mean by us? Um, so Vincent, as you know, I'm, I'm not a medical doctor, I'm a PhD. So all the medical doctors who were ordering her tests were receiving these results and they were raising the red flags. They were saying these are erroneous results. It doesn't make sense in the context of my patient's health. How could these values be true? Now, what she was doing was um, fraud from end to end, from the data collection to uh, interpretation and results reporting. Her major fraud uh, started when she tried to basically combine major like clinical chemistry analyzers, right? Like we have like a Beckman Coulter AU480 device, which is the, you know, the size of half of my office and it can run maybe, you know, a hundred parameters, right? And she was saying that she had miniaturized these devices to the size of basically a tabletop device that could be put in a doctor's office, which could run thousands of parameters. And of course the engineering inside was fundamentally broken. Right. When she would have this box, this black box that she may call the Edison, she would have investors come into the uh, Theranos campus, Elizabeth Holmes, and they would say, oh, here, here's a, you know, prick of your blood. We put it on this, you know, um, capillary syringe uh, uh, collector, this, this sort of uh, ampule. And then it goes into the Edison device um, and then it gets monitored. And then she she put the investor's button there and then she say, okay, let's you know go to lunch and your results will be ready when we come back. But as soon as they would leave the testing room, the experimental room, uh, a lab tech would come in <laughs> and take the sample and then go to the, the, the bench and run you know, traditional chemistries at the bench side. And then they would come back. And then that was in, done in mass in a hurried scale when testing their customer samples. And so they were reporting results that weren't true. The chemistries, sometimes, you know, the chemistry the experiment would have to take 45 minutes and they wouldn't have time. They would truncate their experimental time to 15 minutes to be able to have a higher throughput and test more samples. Of course, the results of those tests were erroneous. We are not rebuilding a box. We are not building a, a literal black box of fraud. Um, we are using technologies that not only currently exist, but have existed for the last 50 years in academic research, such as gas chromatography, mass spectrometry for our detection of metabolites, or using next generation Illumina sequencing for our uh, microbiomic test that is uh, currently in development. We are using mainstay research technologies, research technologies that are uh, currently unavailable to um, physicians, either because they're incredibly cost prohibitive or uh, their operation requires someone like me who has a separate advanced degree in something that is not the practice of medicine, or um, it just takes up too much space or there's not enough demand for it. And so really these devices tend to be housed within um, research cores uh, within universities. And those research cores will perform internal and external services as needed. And what we have done is essentially become a core, a testing core. And we are not committing any sort of 
you know, um, we're not announcing that we've made this, you know, new box. We're using, you know, an, an Agilent 7820A 5977B GC mass spec. This is a uh, device that goes back to the 70s, um, <laughs> really, in its inception, its current state. Like, you can look at current GCMSs and say, oh, yeah, early 70s is when these things started to come out. And when we're coupling that, you know, this, this big data with modern day uh, advanced artificial intelligence to analyze it and um, multiplex these parameters running through various um, biomarker and metabolite sets to return really important health domains like aging index, your mitochondrial score, um, integumentary health, your reproductive score, uh, environmental toxin exposure, mutational load. And we're doing this not and we're and we're not giving you these values and saying your aging index is suboptimal. We're not saying that. We're saying your in aging index is suboptimal because of the levels of these metabolites. You go to the um, dictionary. Basically, we have a complete glossary of our metabolites. Your levels of metabolites. A quick blurb about the history of the metabolite, its discovery, its functioning in various organisms, especially humans, and then the implications of low metabolites or high, low levels of that metabolite and high levels. And everything is cited in every single one of our report, depending on your personalized results, um, you may receive anywhere from, uh, you know, let's say 150 to 500 different citations in your customized report. And those citations reflect the most accurate, up-to-date, well-curated um, scientific knowledge that we have. And, and so what we're doing is not only is our you know, data collection um, completely transparent um, and uh, very much accepted, this is not some weird black box that we can't talk about. I can tell you exactly how we detect our metabolites. It is public knowledge. Um, and uh, we couple it with our um, very well curated, very accurate scientific uh, database, which is the most up-to-date translational science we can have. These are things that um, necessarily haven't been brought out to clinics yet, right? These are this is the, this is the cutting edge of our um, ability to take discoveries from the lab and translate them bench uh, bedside. So this bench to bedside uh, effort is really where Ethereum sits as a company, and giving that access to people who, you know, before th these sorts of technologies are really limited, you know, people who have a deep molecular profile that on them are usually, you know, heads of states and, and, and very important, uh, you know, CEOs of top companies have this sort of uh, healthcare that is accessible to them. And, and essentially we're bringing, you know, the healthcare that is going to be uh, implemented in the mainstream 50 years from now, we're bringing that to our customers today. We're coupling it with AI and uh, our, our whole point is that we are transparently um, putting people um, in, in, in basically their data in their own hands, giving them autonomy over their own health. We are not making um, any sort of uh, diagnostics by ourselves. We have uh, a team of uh, physicians we can consult uh, and customers can at the end of the day take that report to uh, their own physicians to have a meaningful discussion with them. And we found that um, physicians are very open to it and uh, physicians are very interested in using it in their practice and so far have found it very helpful in managing um, some of their uh, patients. It's crazy to think that you said that we're going to get CEO level healthcare because I'm middle class, upper middle class, and I think to myself, I have the best healthcare, but there's so much more out there. So before we move forward, I could talk to you all day. Let's back up and just get the listeners 
Let's unpack it. There's so much there. I what know. is metabolomics? Because people have no idea what we're talking about right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point, Vince. So yeah, to start with metabolomics, let's start with the Human Genome Project. The Human Genome Project was, of course, um, this very great endeavor to sequence the genetic code of uh, humans. And we did that. But the promise of the Human Genome Project, which was going to solve every single um, question that was really pressing, and we were going to solve all these diseases and prevent all the other ones, uh, it never came to pass. That, that promise was never realized. The problem is because most disorders are not purely genetic disorders, right? So Vince, as you know, there are some genes with very high uh, penetrance, right? So if you have the gene for Huntington's, you will develop and die of Huntington's. However, if you have the genes for schizophrenia, there is no guarantee that you will ever develop schizophrenia in your life. So most diseases are incredibly heterogeneous and don't rely on a single gene with incredibly high penetrance like Huntington's would. Um, so the gene is the genome, right? The complete set of genes in an organism. This is the blueprint of what can happen. This is this is just the basically the, the 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 architect's design of all the possibilities. These are by no means guaranteed. Okay, but that's not uh, the full dogma of life, right? The dogma of life states that genes are first, um, you know, uh, uh, trans uh, transcribed to RNA, um, and then they're translated from RNA to proteins. And then proteins interact with various aspects of human biology. One very important aspect that we are now seeing is its own uh, diverse and dynamic system is the gut microbiome. The microbiome as a whole are the entire collection of archaea, viruses, fungi, um, and bacteria that are all over your body, from your eyelids to your gut. And a major uh, area that they're at is the uh, gut where there's about 30 pounds of them sitting um, as a collected uh, commensal organism in your gut intestines. And um, they interact there, they have their own genome, they have their own proteome, each strain, each species has its own unique biology, and they're all interacting with yours. And they're all producing metabolites, right? Metabolites are very small molecules, much, much smaller than proteins. These metabolites are the end byproducts of metabolism. They represent the lowest level of systems biology. So we have the genome, we have the transcriptome, right? So genes are, are transcribed into RNA, and then that those RNA are transcribed into proteins. That full set of proteins we call the proteome. We also have this, you know, very large organism that lives in us and on us, known as the microbiome. And then we also have um, our metabolome, which are all the small molecule byproducts, usually less than 1500 uh, Daltons uh, in, in atomic size. And that metabolome, if you view it on the hierarchy from genes of a person to the environment and everything that affects the person, the metabolome sits at the nexus between the genome and the metabolome. It is therefore the most sensitive and reliable indicator of current health status. Whereas the genome might tell you what could happen and the, and the transcriptome might tell you what is starting to happen. The proteome and the microbiome might tell you what's there and um, what proteins are high or low, what, where you're building blocks of your biology. But the metabolome is telling you what's, what is happening with those building blocks. I like to um, 
analogize this to baking a cake because it's something we can really understand, right? The um, cake uh, is is the, the, the recipe itself, uh, Vincent, is like the genome, right? It is the, the basic instructions and the basic materials for how to build this thing. Your um, transcriptome is the act of going to the marketplace and buying the ingredients. You could get, show up to the marketplace and not have enough you know, biological dollars to buy the best ingredients. You might not be getting exactly what the, the uh, uh, um, uh, uh, recipe called for. You know, you could go to the recipe and they don't have, you know, organic vanilla extract. So you got to get the synthetic crappy stuff that doesn't taste as good, right? So you, your transcriptome is a reflection of, of how much of that genome was able to be expressed. How much of that real, the recipe and the instructions, how close did we get? That's your RNA, right? And then you go home and what you're able to purchase and you're able to procure and what didn't fall out of your bag on the way back from the market, um, that is your proteome. Those are the, the building blocks you, you actually have, right? Your microbiome is like the quality of your cooking materials, right? Like, do you have a really great oven or is it kind of shoddy and spotty and, and it, can, it doesn't maintain temperature consistently? And uh, how are, you know, how's your mixing bowl? Is your mixing bowl a really great one or is, is it kind of uh, doesn't do its job well? And, and so uh, all the quality of that and your baking dishes and everything is your microbiome. And then the end product the thing you can taste, the thing that shows you, well, how did, you know, what happened? What went wrong? If you wanted to know what went wrong with the cake, you wouldn't look at the oven necessarily. You wouldn't look, you wouldn't think, let's go look at what's on the shelves at the grocery store. You would try the cake first, right? You would taste the cake and that would tell you, oh, you use a little bit too much egg. Oh, this was, you know, baked for 10 minutes too long, right? A good baker will be able to tell you that by eating the cake. Um, the edges are burnt because you did this, right? And so that's exactly what the metabolism is. It is the complex product of all of the products and processes that are upstream of it. And when we want to know, well, how is Vincent's cake? How is his health? We would look at your metabolome first. Um, uh, and of course, you know, right now we have the ability to look at two levels at the same time. We can perform a long read 16S sequence of your gut microbiome to uncover uh, almost a thousand uh, species at level seven resolution, so species resolution. And we can look at a single drop of your blood to um, relate that to 126 sentinel aqueous metabolites in, in your um, blood system, in your um, circulatory system, which represents a very systemic and good view of your overall health. And so that's how we break down systems biology. And currently we offer two levels of testing and we're quickly expanding and Hope to be doing, you know, um, full genome top-down testing uh, within the year. So I guess what I'm thinking is, if this is the closest test you can get to an accurate description of your health, why is this the first time I'm hearing about this? Or why is this new? Why Why do you have a startup? Why is it, hasn't this been started up 10 years ago? Yeah, so there's, there's a lot. There's a lot. Um, one thing that is going on is that you know a lot of the computational and statistical ability to take these massive amounts of data curate them and mine them for insights now there's another there's another distinction we have to make between us and you know um the shadow of theranos was that these people were not publishing anything because they weren't scientists right uh science isn't like tech 
right? When like a, a really great like CEO drops out of a prestigious school and like starts his own thing, people get excited. They're like, oh, he's the next Zuckerberg or he's, you know, he's the next uh, Musk or so on. So science isn't like that. Science and medicine isn't like something you can um, like drop out and learn on like Code Academy. You know, these, these things that we do, uh, things that we learn are still very much idiosyncratic and um, the most important little bits and secrets of them are still within the halls of academic research and you have to sign up for a sustained period of, of intensive study, uh, you know, with a, with a senior researcher to learn them. And so she wasn't a scientist. She, she didn't even have a bachelor's degree and she would, her company would run these trials with, let's say five people. And they wouldn't publish any of the results because nobody's going to accept that for publishing. No peer reviewed journal is going to publish her results with a, with an N of five, but she would take it and she would patent it and nobody else could use it for the application she was using it for in Theranos. But um, Elizabeth Holmes never published anything because it wasn't worthy of publication. It was incredibly small sample sizes and she would measure two or three parameters on five people and say, hey, we have a, we have a test for stage one pancreatic cancer or whatever. Um, what we are doing um, is very dependent on big data. And to handle that big data, you need you know, advanced um, machine learning techniques, at least random forest support vector machine are employed. And now we're using more um, sophisticated artificial intelligence that are beyond those simple ensemble uh, methods. And in the time of uh, Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes, these techniques really hadn't matured. Um, you know, she didn't really have the big data on hand that necessitated these these techniques. Her her thing was a major fraud, but big data needed to, the, 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 the analytics really needed to catch up to the big data that we were generating. And so, you know, 30 years ago, even more now, 50 something years ago, 1972, there is the seminal publication that talks about the use of um, gas chromatography, mass spectrometry, biostatistics, and computer um, for the diagnosis, for the uh, uh, development of personalized diagnostics. That's the the um, title of the paper, and I forget who it's by, but it's in the journal of biological chemistry, uh, JBLC. And uh, I found the seminal paper trying to look for the provenance of, of our field. And it's the oldest one I could find. And, you know, it's, it's a full 20 something years before the term metabolomics was ever invented. But people have been trying to do this, Vincent. Um, it has started and stopped in various ways. And there are entities out there that are still doing this. Uh, I think we're the only entity that is assuming a full systems biology approach. Um, now currently, you know, some entities you can go get tested. They'll do your like your metabolomics panel and then they'll do like an inflammatory panel on top of it. And so what they require is that because they have to do a bunch of tests on top of each other, they'll require you to go into one of their, you know, um, phlebotomists in their network. You do a few vials of blood and then like you wait almost like five weeks and you get your results. Um, with us, we're an in vitro diagnostic. So you get your at home test kit. Um, you uh, prick your finger and put it on the dry blood spot. Um, you take that dry blood spot and you just ship it back to us. And within three days, you have your full, you know, few hundred page report, um, which uh, customers uh, seem to have a lot of fun with. They take a day and a half and they go through their entire um, metabolic profile. And we speak to things such as those 12 key health domains. We also report um, a disease propensity match. So essentially this is 344 um, disease signatures 
which have been validated via the scientific literature in human blood and based on uh, co various combinations of our 126 monitored metabolites. And so what patients will also get with, uh, in addition to the 12 key health domains, is a match status report for those 344 database for those 344 diseases that we've curated in our database so they'll see something like um, soto syndrome the total number of metabolites associated with soto syndrome the total number of metabolites we found in their data that was associated with soto syndrome and the directional change um, a percent overlap, like a match percentage of their profile to the known profile of someone with soto syndrome and then a confidence uh, percentage that um, a confidence that we're, we've measured it correctly and have calculated that score correctly because there's always uh, room for error. I mean, there's no, there's never a hundred percent test, and so um, we don't report any results that have below a ninety-five percent confidence interval, or not sorry, confidence interval, confidence match. That basically goes back to the statistical belief of uh, you know alpha point oh five. Um, and so making sure that we are not um, risking, um, you know, type one error more than 5%. Um, and we make sure that we don't risk our type two error uh, more than 80, uh, 20%. So we have an 80% chance that if, if it is there, we've caught it. And there's a 95 or greater percent chance that if we say it's there, it is there. Um, so real quick, type one is false positive, right? And type two is false negative for the... Right, right. So type one is basically crying wolf. This is how you you can look at it, right? And we call it our alpha. Um, statistically speaking, um, we in frequentist statistics, and of course we we don't use frequentist statistics in our analysis report. We use Bayesian inference, but the rule still holds, and it's it's general convention that ninety five percent is how sure you want to be that what you're saying is true. So so what's the chance that you're crying wolf essentially should be less than five percent. Your false positives should be less than 5%. And your false negatives, your type 2 error, is related to beta. And we want to make sure we're powered for everything we say we are. Power is basically 1 minus beta. So we want to make sure our power is 80. So our beta, or our chance of type 2 error, shouldn't be any more than 0.2. Meaning that there's only a 20% chance that there's something there that we missed. Okay. Well, let me ask this question because people are probably thinking this now. How are you establishing these ranges from all the data? Is that where artificial intelligence comes in? Because that must be how many years of research to establish like this range of metabolites could equal this disease. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's the beautiful part about science is that, yes, it probably has, uh, it is dependent on more than 50 years of research that has been curated, um, mined, and um meta-analyzed what we've also done is that we've you know provided a ratio of ranges a, a, a range ratio essentially of, of values where it's like too high and too low and for things like you know glucose or hemoglobin a1c those are very well established cutoffs that most physicians will use but like what about allo 3 anemia? You know, that's not necessarily something where the Institute of Medicine has come out with with the um, established cutoff. So what we do is we use um, levels that have been reported from the scientific literature as being associated. So if this full change is associated, right, if a full change of 0.5 is associated, allotherinine is associated with cancer, and a, point, and a full change of 0.2 is associated with epilepsy, let's say for instance, we can use the magnitude of that full change, how close it is 
to our um, observed full change in our current customer. And then we extrapolate that to the findings of the, of the results. And it's all done within our um, AI engine. And um, essentially what it does is it multiplexes. So no disease that we diagnose is based on one single metabolite. Um, at the very least, it's two, and it goes all the way up to 68. Um, could be utilized in some form, in some you know algorithm, essentially, that comes up with a dichotomous yes-no um, or percentage match for that disease. And uh, the idea is that because we multiplex them um, and we have different combinations for different um, health domains or disease signatures, our chances of type one and type two error are very low because we have so many, we have very high sensitivity, but because they're dependent on so many different parts and not just one or two metabolites, they have incredible specificity as well. Has there ever been a metabolite range where you've gone back and had to change it because more research has come out? Absolutely. Yeah, there's been there's been some range. There's so there are some researches, there's some metabolites where there's not a lot of research from it. And so what we do is we use the actual human genome and do a genomic reconstruction of what those levels would be like, given what we know. And so for some metabolites, and there's only about a dozen of them that are known to be important, but just not yet how that are included in our panel that we use a genomic uh, 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 reconstruction. And a lot of the metabolites, which are constantly updated and curated, and as new information comes out, that is assimilated into our values. And the beautiful thing is that we can reach back out to customers, um, having reanalyzed our data very quickly, and say, actually, given you know the most up-to-date uh, health information that we have, we have found markers in your profile that matched X, Y, and Z. And that's a great question, uh, Vincent, and something that um, I have to say some of our competitors like um, 23andMe um, also does. You know, they will um, get back in contact with you if uh, their database changes and they find something meaningful to your health. Well, 23andMe, now that I'm talking to you, sounds like Windows 98 and you guys have like the most updated version of Mac over here. Because if, yeah, if, yeah. if they're dealing purely genetics, you're so downstream that their information seems invalid. Yeah, and, and, and again, for some disorders, that could be really important. If you have a history of um, you know, breast cancer, you definitely want to see if you have BRCA1. There are certain um, genes that are very relevant to certain you know, uh, people. If you have early onset Alzheimer's in your family, you want to see if you have the APOE4, uh, the 4-4 allele. Um, that's going to really r raise your risk of developing Alzheimer's. Uh, it's still valuable to know, and it can still really guide uh, treatment decisions for physicians. Now, pretty soon we will offer a genomic test. Um, I have faith we will very quickly. And when we do, we're going to be able to combine both ends, both tails of that system's um, biology and really be able to shed insights and say, you have this gene, but you're not expressing the downstream byproducts of it. There's something in here that is silencing it. Now, if we need to express that, there's very strategic and very granular interventions that we'll then be able to dial in if we have the full um, deep molecular profile on an individual. Here's the thing, Steve, Vincent, we can talk about all the ways that this will, uh, you know, revolutionize um, our understanding. And if you read, you know, the New England Journal of Medicine, if you read, you know, Cell, Nature, Science, they are all calling for this approach to be utilized. Um, and when we get there, the questions that we will be able to answer we will quickly realize we didn't even know to ask now. Um, and 
it's it's a very exciting time. I mean, I I really truly believe that uh, when we have built out you know a thirty thousand uh, person database complete with their demographic clinical information as well as their genome, transcriptome, proteome, metabolome, microbiome information completely appended there as well, um, we will be able to mine that with our AI to uncover, you know, the most the answers to the most pressing scientific and medical questions, um, the biggest contributors to, you know, human um, disease and, and mortality, uh, cardiovascular diseases, uh, cancers, neurodegenerative diseases, um, uh, uh, metabolic disorders. Um, we'll be able to come up with a lot of uh, treatment interventions. We'll be able to come up with new therapeutic monitoring strategies. Um, and this is going to be a vertical advance in, in human healthcare. Are there questions you're asking now, and we'll say maybe three years ago, you didn't even know to ask that question? Yeah, absolutely. One thing that um, is very interesting for me is is how there are these sorts of ghosts in the machine. I, you know, if, if you would have looked back 10 years ago, there would have been no biomarkers for autism, for instance. And now we're realizing that autism is a metabolic disorder in many ways. Because it's a metabolic disorder, it has a metabolic fingerprint um, that can be readily and reliably detected. The weird thing is that we, in the early days of our beta testing, um, we tested a middle-aged woman. Uh, I shouldn't say middle-aged. I think she was maybe in her uh, late 30s. She, <laughs> she would she kill heard, you if you said middle-aged. Middle <laughs> uh, she's in her late 30s, and she tested with us. And um, one of her, um, her third most significant disease signature uh, with a very high match status was autism. And she didn't appear autistic to me. She didn't appear to be on uh, any sort of the spectrum. But um, and, I, and I almost was like, should I report this? You know, because sometimes you'll get a, a, a woman and you'll you'll do her test and it'll come back as like, oh, she had like prostatic resection surgery, and you're like, absolutely not. She doesn't have a prostate. Um, but so I was like, should I even report this and her put it in your report, or should I filter it based on you know a non possibility because of some other demographic factor? But I decided to include it anyway. And when she read it, she became an instant believer in what we were doing because her youngest daughter is severely autistic and nonverbal and has uh, developmental delays. So there was a, an autism signature in her metabolism, and. Um, in my graduate program, um, in my in my, I, I never published the paper on this. I was working on other projects, but there were people in, in our lab and in my PI in, in specific um, has been working on biomarkers for autism, and we have curated some of the most well-known biomarkers um, of autism, specifically like glutamate, glycine, glutamine. Um, the fatty acids, various other amino acids, purines, and 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 pyrimidines, which are in our assay, have are known and known, very associated, tightly high well associated with, with autism. And so we've included them in our panel as well. And there's many researchers now working on um, the biological etiologies of autism as well. And, and it, it's, really, it's really amazing to see that, uh, that you know, without prior knowledge, we're picking up on these um, sorts of remnants of metabolism. We had uh, another, another um, it was actually an investor of ours. He wanted to run a test. Uh, and, and investors, you know, you can show them your patents, your papers. You can show them the science of metabolomics. You can bring them into the lab and show them the machines. 
at the end of the day, they want to have some sort of colloquial evidence as to whether it works. And so um, he had us test uh, himself and his and his mother. I immediately knew which one was his mother because the reproductive score uh, index that we calculate basically came up as negligible. And she was a postmenopausal woman, which makes sense that her reproductive score is basically negligible. And so um, there was another woman who came and her reproductive score was negligible as well. And she ended up being pregnant. Um, so she was actually not capable of reproducing anymore at the time. Um, and the test was correct by that. So, so back to our investor, um, he comes in with his mother, we test her and, and she comes up with a few things that, that are, that are pretty interesting. Um, number one, she had, you know, high, high blood pressure, uh, was one of the disease signatures that we found in the metabolites. You know, the metabolites can speak to things like high blood pressure. We found, you know, hypertension, we found high cholesterol, we found, uh, osteoporosis. We, uh, uh, found, oh gosh, what was the other one? Uh, oh, uh, we found Alzheimer's and then we found, um, cancer. Now, as it turns, or no, so, sorry, we had found rheumatoid, Alzheimer's, and cancer. And as it turns out, um, she is taking treatment for high blood pressure. She's taking insulin for her diabetes. Um, she's taking medication for her rheumatoid. Uh, she had thankfully just come out of remission like a year and a half ago for cancer. Um, but she had no Alzheimer's. She had no Alzheimer's. So, you know, five out of the six she had either had or currently has. And so it became very clear that she needed to go get tested for Alzheimer's. And um, I think she's fine. I think everything is, is, is great, but it, it is a really great early warning and detection system um, because ultimately the metabolism can reflect very early on things that usually do not create symptoms for years down the road. Um, and by doing serial longitudinal testing, uh, a patient is able to keep very good, um, you know, uh, uh, monitoring on their health, uh, and it's, it's regular, it's constant, and, and it provides much deeper insight than the 10 to 20 parameters your physician is currently able to test uh, in your blood at the clinic. So I'm thinking about physicians. I have so much empathy for MDs because they work so hard. This is so advanced. So let's say I get a test from you. What do I do with that information? How do I improve my health? Yeah, absolutely. So, so our test, obviously, like I said, it comes with a ton of citations. You can look these citations up, educate yourself. I mean, for, for the physician, that's going to be very easy. Um, for the layperson, those citations also come uh, accompanied with incredibly well-digested um, blurbs that you can still use. And at the end, we go domain by domain, your aging index, your mitochondrial health, your uh, integumentary score, your reproductive score. And we show your score. We talk about the metabolites that informed that score. And then we talk about a few things you can do in your daily life that would increase or decrease those levels of metabolites, bringing them closer to what we currently understand as the homeostatic line. And so, we also offer uh, a ton of personalized recommendations. Um, you know, every report comes with about 50 different things you can do um, that would bring you closer to homeostasis, to the known homeostasis. Um, we also um, allow uh, people, Steve, to get in contact with one of our own, um, you know, staff physicians. We have MDs on staff. We also have um, PhD RDs on staff. So researchers who, who also are registered dietitians. 
and um, we can bring you, you know, a, a vast amount of, of health information uh, and consulting with our report. In addition to that, as I mentioned before, the patient can take that report to their own healthcare provider. And from what we've heard, they're having very meaningful discussions um, with their physicians and the physicians are very eager to um, learn more about the product, how to use it. We are setting up a training entity for physicians to be able to go learn more about it and um, understand how they can implement this into their practice. Um, and I've even had uh, calls from physicians who've, who've patients have taken the test and they call me up and they just want to talk about it. And they've been incredibly receptive. And um, and this is, like you said, we have so much empathy for, for MDs and these doctors that are sort of on the front lines um, dealing with, with patients' health. And we're not trying to replace them. And that is not the goal or, or the intention of this theory on report, um, even if it has vast amounts of digestible data coupled with very specific actionable things people can do to uh, improve their health. Um, but we're trying to give physicians the tools to perform their jobs better. Ultimately, I think it's the collaboration of these um, research level technologies and entities like Ethereum that are bringing these research level technologies to clinicians um, that is going to really drive a vertical advancement in patient care. No entity is going to do this by themselves. And we really do need each other to to get the most benefit for the patients. Oh, absolutely. You're like, the, you're bridging the gap between all the research to the MD. So let's say I get my report back and I have a higher risk of cancer. What are some of the suggestions that your company would give in that report? Yeah, so it depends. If you have um, if you have evidence of purine and pyrimidine um, denaturization, if you have um, very low levels of this, and you have evidence of you know DNA damage, we might make some very specific recommendations for how you may uh, you know let's say increase your, your sorry decrease your production of reactive oxygen species, which can lead to the DNA damage. If you have very low levels of certain amino acids that we are known to be building blocks of, you know, let's say special neurotransmitters and your neurocognitive index is a little bit low, we may recommend the specific foods that are the um, protochemicals for the synthesis of those neurotransmitters or um, let's say, uh, you know, precursors of, of fatty acids in, in the brain, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's, it's all depending on your specific profile. Um, we've had very healthy people who've come through and the AI generated recommendations are basically keep doing what you're doing, drink a little bit more water, try to reduce stress. And some people have come in and we're, we're like, okay, you should be taking some, you know, CoQ, you should be, you know, looking at uh, taking some B12 supplementation, you should, you know, eat foods rich in choline. Um, we detected some uh, downstream uh, metabolites of glyphosate. Do you have occupational exposure? If so, take these steps. Um, we're able to pinpoint some very um, extraordinary things, things that people don't think of as being maybe reflected in their blood, let alone from two drops of blood on a paper. Um, but the reports have so far have, have been kind of striking for people and um, it's made sense to them. And they've been able to do some act, make some actionable uh, uh, improvements on their health. Have you ever had a report? Cause I'm thinking about that lady whose daughter has autism where the metabolites are a certain score and then the person's phenotype or the symptoms don't match the test at all. Yeah, that's, and that's what this was, was with this lady was that I, I knew she was a writer and editor. She was, um, very, um, witty and sharp. 
she had a very aggressive uh, way of thinking. It didn't strike me as being related to ASD at all. And I thought like, well, should I filter it? But there just was, you know, really no reason biologically um, or analytically to exclude that, that report, that result. And um, that's the only one I've seen so far where it was a real head scratcher, but it turned out to be completely on the money. Um, the idea here is that there is a, a metabolic beginning, a pathogenesis to most disorders. Some, like I said, are really purely genetic, but you can count those on two hands, essentially. Um, the ones that are the greatest contributors to hum human morbidity are the incredibly heterogeneous diseases, are the diseases that are best monitored and tracked in the metabolome. And um, in the systems level, there are companies out there, entities that are doing proteomics in the blood. There are companies that are doing the microbiome. There are very well-known companies doing the genome. We are the, currently the only entity doing direct-to-consumer metabolomics testing. How did you fall into this? Like when you're an undergrad, is this like, was it a passion of yours from the beginning? No, I applied to and got into medical school and I, I didn't want to go. I, I had shattered enough physicians to know that, you know, I am not a physician. I, I don't have the patience. I don't have necessarily the bedside demeanor. Um, I love puzzles. Um, and a lot of people can say, yeah, well, medicine's a puzzle. You're always trying to figure out. Yes, but at the end of that puzzle is a person. Um, and you need to be the type of individual who can um, marry their analytical mind with you know, their great love of humanity. And I'm not saying I don't love humanity, but I like puzzles, Vincent. And so I, I knew that um, staying in, in academia could make me happy. So um, yeah, I, I was accepted into medical school uh, here in Arizona and I deferred for a year. Uh, and in that year I started working as uh, a research manager for my undergraduate mentors lab. And I was a full-time manager. I kind of fell in love with it and halfway through, she was like, do you want to go on to get your master's and your doctorate? And um, I, I, I knew I kind of wanted to do that. I wanted to work with different populations. I wanted to be able to do an animal study in the morning and go and work with, you know, kindergarten students uh, with the undergraduate, you know, research assistants at lunch at a school down the street, uh, collect that data and then go back and, and analyze, you know, human behaviors and, and human biologies in, in our own lab, uh, back in, in Tempe. And so being able to do that and writing the results and communicating with, with um, other authors and, and researchers via your publications, that culture really attracted me. And I, I went from, you know, basically doing um, uh, interventions and, and doing like, you know, point by point diagnostic works to um, meeting uh, a fantastic researcher by the name of Dr. Highway Gu, um, who accepted me as his PhD student. And I started to uh, explore diagnostics um, it, within the realm of systems biology. And I started to you know, learn metabolomics. And so uh, over the last five years, um, I've studied various mass spectrometry techniques from GCMS to liquid chromatography, tandem mass spectrometry. Uh, we've done some work with nuclear magnetic resonance for the detection and quantification of metabolites. Um, you know, I've, I've enjoyed, a, I think, a very um, impressive uh, publication record 
uh, a publication record that is now slowly starting to wind down for a while as we uh, focus more on uh, product development Ethereum. And and we're building our, our own databases and we're confident that soon we'll, we'll be making some very high impact publications with our own data. But for the time being, we're sort of winding down the, the academic side, the academic research and focusing more on product development. But I fell in love with it because it really is the most sent because so near to the phenotype that it is really the most sensitive indicator of a system status. And that system can be anything from a collection of wastewater to a human being. But to look at the current status of that system, the, the most sensitive level is metabolomics. And throughout my um, studies, I've, I've been fortunate enough to meet other people who have, are assuming the systems level approach. My um, uh, good friend and, and co-founder, Alex Moore, uh, he's a fantastic scientist in the microbiomics space. He's our director of microbiomics. Maybe he can come on if you're oh, interested. Oh, yeah, after I love me. it long read 16s technology that we're developing in our at home um uh, uh, uh wipe it's a bunny wipe um and you put it in a dna rna shield and it goes to our labs for sequencing you you get a whole different set of results with that because it's looking at a whole different system and and with ethereum the great thing is because your data is housed all under one um entity, we are not able to just give you your metabolomic report and your microbiomic report, but there is so much more information that is contained between the interaction and the crosstalk of those two levels, that when you have two levels of the data, the richness and, and what you can report becomes exponential suddenly. And so because we can, your data is not housed between 23andMe and some other company, we can analyze it all at once. Our AI is, is capable of some really deep insights, you know, and um, so that's where we're at right now. And that is, it's sort of like the, the myth of, um, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of like the, the, the myth of, of Atlas, you know, the, the, uh, was it Atlas or no, Prometheus Atlas held Prometheus. the world up held the world. And his brother was the one who stole fire from the yep. gods and gave it. And that's kind of where we see ourselves as, as this Promethean entity, where we're bringing that fire or that this, you know, symbolic for technology, we're bringing that advanced technology, we're stealing it from the gods and we're giving it to, you know, average people uh, and who can order from our, our website and receive their results within a week. And, and that those results are orders of magnitude, more detailed and more informationally rich than what's currently given from, you know, Sonora Quest or, or um, your, you know, LabCorp or whatever, you know, entity or your physician contracts. Um, levels of, I, I, I would say at least a hundred times more information is given. So it's not some flimsy thing. And in some in cases, in many cases, it is even a little bit overwhelming for the physician. But um, just because that data is really rich and powerful doesn't mean people shouldn't seek it. It is your data. It is inherently yours. And I think when people try it, they're very surprised by what they learn and how impactful it can be to them. You know what's crazy? In 10 years, when you're on the cover of Time Magazine, my friends are going to ask me, how the hell did Dr. Jazz begin on your podcast? <laughs> you know, Vince, I love it. And if that happens in 10 years, 
No worries. You will have the exclusive follow-up interview. Oh, my gosh. I'm, 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 my, my, my wife's an attorney, so I'm going to have you write that in a contract. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that'll be great, yeah. Let me ask you yeah. one more question because actually two more to end. I always ask two sure. at the end. The first one is what is one takeaway you'd want the audience to have from this interview? Oh, it's a, it's kind of depressing. It's kind of depressing. The takeaway is this. We currently do not know all the things we think we know. What we don't know vastly outweighs the bits and pieces of disparate knowledge that we've currently been able to stitch together with our modern infrastructure of how science is conducted and disseminated. When an entity like Ethereum um, collects data and reaches a critical mass, we will hit an inflection point. Um, there is a reason why so many people still die of controllable, preventable diseases. It's because our systems don't work. If they did work, um, you know, my wife would still have a grandfather and he wouldn't be diagnosed with lung cancer and die three months immediately after his diagnosis. Um, I would still have my aunt. She wouldn't be diagnosed and, and dead from ALS within six months. Um, these sorts of things, people are still falling through the cracks. And we need an entity, this sort of benevolent entity that um, can routinely, um, effectively, accurately, and cost effect—I mean, cost effectively, um, analyze and monitor the public's health. Um, if an entity like this exists, you know, uh, one thing that happened recently that had me thinking was this, for instance, this, uh, this train derailment in East Palestine. This is kind of old news, but I mean, for the people who are living there and still dealing with the fallout, I'm sure it's not old news. And, you know, they supposedly cleaned it up. And if you believe that, okay. And they sent the politicians out to East Palestine to, you know, drink the water in these residents' homes and tell them it, it was fine for them to drink. And of course, you know, they had an acute exposure to the drinking water. They're going to fly back to D.C. and go to a very nice dinner reservation. And that individual is going to stay in their home and drink that water for the next 30 years. And chronic exposure is not the same as acute, of course. So what we could do if, if Ethereum had was an entity 20 years ago and we had a very well-built-out database and systems, we could compare customer samples and their health profiles before that train incident to after the train incident. And we could compare and contrast and we could say with our science definitively that um, this industrial accident had XYZ effects on this population that were definitively not there before. And it, we can become, you know, sort of like the satellites that are, you know, looking at, you know, images of the earth and you can, you know, deny like climate change. It's very hard for people to deny pictures of, you know, the shorelines receding and oceans becoming vast barren deserts. And, and we we're able to do that because those technologies allowed us such a very high bird's eye view, a very panoramic view of earth. And our technologies are uh, positioned to do the same thing for human health to be able to sort of provide a very granular and very broad view of human health and functioning. And we see a future at Ethereum. We try to model ourselves after sci-fi, um, you know, ultimately, you know, when you see like sci-fi flicks, like this guy goes up to a very small device and it like diagnoses him and it figures out what's wrong. And it spits out this very tailored individualized intervention that fixes him. 
right? And we believe the same thing. We believe that um, it should not be cost prohibitive. It should be very accurate. It should be quick. There's no reason why, you know, current health testing, you you throw in your, your, your sample to one of these gut microbiome places and you get your result five weeks later. You get your blood parameter five weeks later. Your blood parameter has changed drastically in five weeks. And so to get a fast result, an accurate result, a cost-effective result, um, and one that is delivered to you in, you know, a understandable format. And we're currently building an app so that your entire uh, health data is accessible to you um, longitudinally. Um, and uh, of course, the sharing is is given to you, you know, your, your, our, our data privacy agreement, you know, customers are able to decide who and when to share their data with completely. And um, my uncomfortable truth is that we are really not that advanced. I think the lay public, um, lay people see medicine and science as look at where we are. Yes, it's true. We're not all dying at the age of 42 anymore, but um, given what we know and what we're capable of, our practice is far, far below our technological and research capabilities. Um, and Theorem's goal is to essentially be in that intersection and translate our research capabilities to clinical practice that drives a meaningful change. You'll get there. Oh my gosh, you'll get there for sure. I'm so lucky to know you. Can you tell <laughs> us how we can order these tasks? My, my audience wants to know, where's your, where's your website? Tell me all about it. Yes, yes, yes. So Ethereum, uh, you can go to www.therio.me. So the whole thing will spell Ethereum, www.therio.me. And you can order our Aristotle test right now. Um, it ships within 24 hours to your home. You can collect your blood sample. It comes with uh, you know, very detailed step-by-step -step directions on the box itself, uh, as well as a QR code you can scan to view our video instructions. Once you have your test, you're going to put it in a uh, in the um, uh, aluminum biohazardous bag that comes with your test kit. You'll ship it back in a prepaid envelope. Um, you will get a confirmation email for when your test ships, for when it arrives, and we will prepare a report for you. Um, once you get that report um, emailed back to you, um, you can discuss whether you, or not you want to meet with one of our physicians for a, a consultation, or you can um, take that report, like I said, to your own physician. We are also working on our BioMe test. Um, as I mentioned, my co-founder and uh, director of microbiomics, Dr. Alex E. Moore, is, is leading that um, development currently. Um, we should be uh, up and running for beta testing of that in about a couple months. Um, I will, you know, let you know when that's up and running. It's on our website, but it's a long read 16S test. Um, and I, as I mentioned, it can monitor almost a thousand um, bacterial uh, features at the level seven species level. So um, we are very excited for that. We're very excited for the marriage of these two tests, which has never been done in um, a, a medical or scientific setting in the way that we plan to do it. And um, I hope we, uh, he can come on after me and discuss more about our plans for that. Um, and we're very excited. And hopefully with very soon, we'll, we'll build out our full suite of testing and patients will be able to come to us um, for their deep molecular profile and their next generation of healthcare. You're going to change the world. I'm telling you, this is just amazing stuff. I cannot thank you enough for coming on. Too flattering. Thank you so much. <laughs> We were trying to help people, and, and, and at the end of the day, I think we have a valuable product. We have um, great people with excellent minds, and our intent is to do good. 
And uh, I think we'll do that. I hope we'll be successful. You will. Thank you so much for coming on and I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Vincent. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.